Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Lord, I thank you for, for, for this series. Lord, I thank you that you are showing us the deepest part of who we are, the soul. Lord, may we continue to learn how to keep and cultivate the health of our souls May we see how important it is. May we see how countercultural it is to take care of our soul. Father, not just our minds and not just our bodies, Lord, but our soul. Help us to see that you indeed are able, Lord, to take all of our burdens, all of our cares. Father, everything that we're carrying around with us, that we should just lay it down at the foot of the cross, that we can lay it down at your feet and trust and know that you have the world in the palm of your hand. There is nothing that is too big for you. There is nothing that is too small for you. Father, have your way in this place. Move on hearts and show us again, Lord, how important it is to take care of our soul. Amen. So how are your souls this morning? How are your souls? Well, you know, this is the fourth part, and that was the weakest. That was, re- that was really weak. Usually as you run a series, it's supposed to get, the, you know, it should be palpable. It should be stronger. I didn't really feel, I'll ask you again, how are your souls this morning? All right, that was good. That was impressive. All right, thank you, Megan. Don't worry, I'm not going to hit a golf ball. You're like, why does this guy have a golf club in here? Um, Growing up as a child, and I still live near a golf course, how many avid golfers do I have in the house? People that you like to play? A couple of you? All right. Well, growing up from a golf course, obviously at times I would play. Uh, I remember as a young kid, my dad actually brought me down to Spring Lake and, you know, got me golf lessons. They actually tell me I was pretty good. I don't believe them, but, you know, my dad would be, oh, you were pretty good. The guy said, you know, you had some talent. So I would play, and as I got older, I was like, you know, I'm really not into it, but my cousins and my brother, they would make me go out occasionally, and we'd go out and we'd play, and then as they always like to tell, they'll retell stories about by the fourth hole, ADD kicked in. I was done. I was done. To play 18 holes of golf was torture. And I li- now listen, don't judge me, Keith, is this really true? At times, I would like line up and I would just lo- like look around. My brother too was very intense. You never want to play golf with John. John is very, John's not good and John is very serious. When you're not very good, you shouldn't be that serious. Just kind of take it easy. That's not my brother. But I would just like look around and aim at places and just hit balls for fun. I was terrible. Not a good golfer. How many of you know what I mean? Slicing the ball, hooking the ball, could never get the ball really straight. Well, isn't it it amazing if you've never played golf, or maybe there's another sport, did you ever hit a ball like with a tennis racket, a golf club, a baseball bat, did you ever hit it on the sweet spot? Oh my gosh, those, those few inches of prime real estate, right? You hit it, your arms don't tingle. Let me show you a little picture up here with the golf club, something I never did. Like in this golf club, hitting it right in the middle, it's like effortless. You hit the ball and it just kind of goes kapow. It takes off. And it's wild. If you've never had that experience, you were deprived as a kid. I don't know. You never played baseball. You never played tennis. You never played golf. But there is something about when you're playing that sport and you hit it and you hit that sweet spot and it feels so good. You know, but you don't need 
don't need an engineer to tell you this. You know what? God gave sports equipment, right? He gave us. There is a sweet spot that we are supposed to be living in. A sweet spot, a region, an area that we are to live in where life is pretty effortless and it feels pretty darn good. Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, in the midst of this series, what are we talking about? Living in our sweet spot. I thought it would be good to start this way because there is a sweet spot for us to live in where we can really find rest for our souls. That's what we're going to be talking about for this week. And I had to kind of divide this up into two messages. Impossible to do it all in one week. But there really is a sweet spot. And and to review, to recap, look at who we are. A soul that is, I don't know, living in its sweet spot. A, a, A soul needs to be integrated. And what integrates a soul? We said it's the body. Partly so, right? The body. All of its appetites and all of its desires. And then you have the mind, our thoughts, our feelings, and then you have our spirit or our will, our intentions. When those things come together, when they're integrated together and they're in harmony, the way God intended for us to live, you have an integrated soul, and that is our sweet spot. You with me? The soul craves rest, doesn't it? How many of you are really tired today? You walked in tired. Anybody have a real easy week and you just jumped up out of bed and you said, wow, I'm going to go to church today. I am so excited. Come on. Some of you had a hard time getting in the car, coming to church because you are tired. And I think what some of us are suffering from is soul fatigue. Anybody? You feel like you're suffering from soul fatigue. No, some of you are shaking your heads and I'm like, no, you don't really know because, you know, with our bodies, listen to me. Our bodies like kind of have gauge, there's a gauge, like you run a marathon or you work out, do you know when you're finished that you're tired? Not a rhetorical question, right? You know, right? You know, you you know you're tired. Yes, absolutely. How about all the, the gauges? I was thinking about even like you drive your car. What do our cars nowadays tell us? They tell us how many miles till you are empty in your car. Married to a woman right? She's gotten much better. When we first got married, one of my pet peeves was something that was so difficult. I never understood this. It was almost like, let's see how far I can go to zero miles before I stall, before I run out of gas. Anybody else you're like that? I'm the, I'm, I'm the exact opposite. I, listen, when I'm driving, I'm at half a tank, right? We leave. I'm off the island. I'm in New Jersey. I'm worried I'm going to run out of gas somewhere. I have to pull off. I have to fill up. I need gas, Your soul has a gauge. You need rest for your soul. And the soul was not made, friends, to run on empty. And think about it. Think about the fatigue that hits our body, first of all. Think about the fatigue that hits our body when we stay up too late and we rise early. How many of you went to bed pretty late? I did, but I have an excuse. I'm preaching a sermon. What's your excuse? Really, how many of you? You went to bed really late last night. Or we try to fuel ourselves for the day with a coffee, you know, a a bagel. We have any bagels today here after church? All right, so we have some gluten. You fuel up with some gluten after church. You get a donut. How about some caffeine? How about this? First time. First time. I'm not making this up. Megan, right? On Friday, I'm not a coffee drinker. But I was so tired after school, went went to work. I said, I have to go run, work out, you know, just unwind a little bit. For me, that's working out. After I said, Megan, I text her. I'm like, I don't drink coffee, but I'm going to need something tonight. I'm going to be up late. 
help me, what flavors do I get? She's like, random, texting me back, what are you talking about? You can't pick out your own coffee? But there I was on Friday night, I drank a, I drank a cup of coffee, and it felt, you know what? It felt liberating. It felt good. It felt good. Now I know what you live, now I know what it's like. I, just, I see people all the time at work, and it, it, it does, it bothers me. I'm like, I wish I could, it would bother, I couldn't drink it every day, but I wish I could drink it every day. No, I don't really, but you know what I'm talking about. And talking about our weariness, I've said this before in the past, and I love to do this at school. Can I just pick on somebody? Let's pick on, who wants to, who wants to volunteer? I'm not going to pick on somebody. All right, Barbara, you have one extra hour every, you had one extra, you're given one extra hour tomorrow. How would you spend it? Anything you could do, what would you do? One extra hour. Don't give me a religious answer. Give me the real answer that's inside. No, you wouldn't. You would sleep. You would? You're, no, no, no. Janine, tell them what, I believe you. Janine, tell them what you said. You would sleep. How many of you, if I gave you one extra hour, what would you, how many of you would sleep? The rest, 90% of you are lying. Again, you're in church. You're lying to yourselves. Famous sociological study, and they ask people that. You had one extra hour every day. What would you do? You would, they would sleep. All the things you could do. You could read. You could hang glide. You could, I don't know why I'm saying hang, but whatever. You could do whatever you want, and we would sleep. Our sleep deficit makes our national deficit look paltry, small. Are you kidding me? We are a people that are absolutely exhausted. We are tired. And then I read this in uh, Time Magazine, the cover story, this, this past week. How many of you know Mark Bittman? He's a food writer. Know the name? Well, Mark Bittman wrote a story, and the story is, he says, he's making the case for eating at home is good for your health, good for your family, and with the right approach, far easier than you would think. The beginning of of his article, just grab me, look what he says here. Fascinating. Just two generations ago, preparing meals was as much a part of life as eating. Now we've given up what is perhaps our best excuse to get together and spend time with the people we love, mealtime, and someone else stands at the stove. We're either watching cooks on TV like we would, a spectator sport, or grabbing grub, bags, and eating it alone and on the go. Oh, wow, you're quiet, because a lot of you are like, that's me, that's my life. I never once thought of that. We really do, right? We watch these TV shows, and don't they have competitions on some of these shows, and they have the chefs, and they go at it, and who can cook better meals, right? There's something sick. The guy's right. There's something wrong in our culture. And he talks, he goes on to talk about the amount of processed food that we eat. Wonder why we're tired, right? We're not getting proper nutrition. I I could go on there, but I'm going to stop. How about, the, how about fatigue that attacks our minds? We think about the list of errands that we have not done. Again, this morning, some of you probably said, do I go to church or do I run some of these errands? You chose wisely. There were things that you could be doing. How about bills that are not yet paid? Emails not yet replied to? Multiple screens clamoring for your attention? Oh, at work, right? You with me on that? I sit at work some days. I'm, my kids are taking an exam the other day. One of the kids came up after. He's like, Mr. Lecce, I had to watch you. It was amazing. You had your laptop out. Your phone was on your desk on the right side. You had your Kindle out. And then you were turning around once in a while because you, to use your computer, your school computer. All these different screens that are there. And I'm multitasking and moving around. But none of you would know anything about that. I guess I'm by myself in that. Well, how about our will? 
There is a fatigue that will attack the will. We have so many decisions to make. What about the clothes? How can I get the best possible impression? What clothes should I wear? What foods are going to be the most satisfying? Did you ever go to a cheesecake factory? Did you ever go? Just the sheer size of the menu is a daunting task. It's like war and peace. There's like a thousand pages. What do I, I don't know. I'm going to need another half an hour to figure out what I want. This is the longest menu I've ever seen in my life. With me on that? The paradox of choice. Martin Seligman, his book, great psychologist, how more is actually giving us less. We think we have a plethora of choices. Oh my gosh, I have so much to choose from. And then we're less satisfied. We are a weary, weary people. Our souls are weary because we have so many choices. Nobody else will ever ask you this. I'm going to give you some signs of soul fatigue. Are you ready? Self-examination. Don't hit the person again next to you. Just look at this for yourself. If you exhibit some of these signs, you are indeed suffering from soul fatigue. I'm like a doctor today. I'm diagnosing you, okay? You're in the office. Here we go. Number one. First one. Ah, things seem to bother you more than they should, right? You with me on that? Maybe your spouse's, uh, I don't have it on me, but you know, they, Megan always laughs at me. I have to have chapstick, and I put it on incessantly. Wherever I am, I have to put it on. Before I go to, I can't, literally can't go to bed unless I put the chapstick on, right? And if this bothers her, she's suffering from soul fatigue. I just want to tell her that today, right? It's all right, honey. I still love you, but that's what you're suffering from. It shouldn't bother you that much. Okay, number two. It's hard to make up your mind about even a simple decision. What am I going to wear today? Right? What am I going to eat today? Maybe you're suffering from soul fatigue. Number three. Impulses to eat or drink or spend or crave are harder to resist than they otherwise would be. Pretty good, right? Ah, quiet again. I love when it's quiet. You are more likely to favor short-term gains in ways that leave you with high long-term costs. Ooh. Number five, you have less courage. How many of you would say at least one of these is something that, well, maybe, maybe not you, maybe the person next to you has, has dealt with at some point, right? Are you with me? No, really. How many of us, we've experienced at least a couple of these? Soul fatigue. Not something that we talk a lot about. And, and let, let me ask you this question now. In terms of the Bible, in terms of the Bible, God ever give people really an easy job in the Bible? Going somewhere with this. God ever give people an easy job in the Bible? Yes or no? No, right? Does God go up to David and say, look, I have a real easy job. You're going to go into a pit, get some stones, slingshot. You're going to take down a giant. It's going to be real easy. Esther, you're going to go before a king. Yeah, you may lose your life. It's going to be easy. Just go do it. Abraham, Moses, and so on. Are there ever easy jobs given to people? No, there are not. It's, listen, I'm going to be demanding. You're going to be tired. You are going to be exhausted. It's probably going to be the hardest thing you ever do, but I'm going to be there with you. The only time easy, the word easy is used in the Bible. The only time is where? Come on. Very good. All right, here we are. Matthew 11. This is the only time the word easy is ever used in the Bible, and Jesus is speaking. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Man, do we need that. For my yoke is easy 
and my burden is light. You know, the soul wasn't made for an easy life. The soul was made for an easy yoke, right? You see that? We weren't made to have, and I think that's, if you're coming in and you say, you know what, how can you make my life easier? It's not what I'm really looking at. That's not what God's goal is. God is looking for us to take our burdens and lay them at his feet. What are the things that we're carrying around that we're not meant to carry around? All of these heavy burdens that make us weary and tired and fatigued. I love what the writer of Hebrews says. Look at this in Hebrews 4, verses 1 through 3. The writer says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did, referring to the Israelites in the Old Testament, but because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. And when it says there, so I declared an oath in my anger, he's actually, actually referring back to Psalm 95. It's recounting the time that the children of Israel, right, they're in the wilderness. And what are they doing? What are they, what are they doing in the wilderness? They're complaining. They have just been liberated from the Egyptians, from the Egyptians' hand. They've been liberated, and now they have freedom. And here they are in the wilderness, and they're complaining, and they're grumbling. They don't want any more manna. Oh, I'm done with this. We're done. And what is the writer is trying to tell us? He's trying to convey to us that God is saying, listen, I'm, you're not going to get any rest. You can't, there is nothing worse than people that walk around that can't find true rest. And rest is fundamental to our human condition. It's fundamental to human life. Without rest, we're in trouble. But he's talking about slavery. And when you rest, in, in trying to get liberated, and talking about slavery, when we actually rest and put our work down, something that's not easy to do, you are saying, I am not a, a cog in a machine. I am not a slave to the identity my society demands of me. I'm not a slave to the system of my society. Do we understand that we have become slaves because our society is telling us to chase certain things? This is how you'll find your identity. We are weary because we're chasing and we're chasing and we're longing and we're striving and our souls can't find rest. And at this point in the sermon, I think some of you are going, yeah, I get it. We are so overworked. We are a tired people. We're probably, honestly, we're probably the most overworked people in the history of the world. How's that feel? Does that feel pretty good? No, it, it doesn't feel pretty good. But when you think about what God offers us, what is he offering us? Sabbath rest. One of the Ten Commandments do you realize, though, what that means when you look at our culture and how overworked we are? A society that encourages overwork is as brutalizing, depersonalizing, dehumanizing as a society that encourages stealing, adultery, killing. It's on the same list. It's on the same list. What are we doing to our souls? Boy, we need some real rest. And you know, it's, it's interesting when you talk about identity. In traditional societies, you got your identity and your value from being part of a family or a community. Let me say that again. In a traditional society, you got your value. You got your identity from being part of a group, a tribe, a family. 
Well, how has that changed in our culture? It's changed a lot because we live in a culture that is the most individualistic in the history of the world. It's all about you need to find out who you are. Who do you want to be? And what that means is that our value and identity is something that we must earn. All of us, we're looking and saying, how can I earn this? How can I go out and, and earn this? This is what I'm longing for. This is what I'm looking for. It's something that really can't be earned. But that's what we're trying to do. That's what we're doing when we go out there. And our, our relationship with work has changed. Completely changed. You know, at one time, work was just a way in which we got our family ahead, right? Used to be, that's really what kind of work was. You may say, it's kind of that way today. No, I think it's really changed. Now, family is a way for us to have individual achievement. How can I achieve? Our work is our way to get value now. It's a way that we get our worth. How much money can I make? Or what social class can propel me into, to get certain accomplishments? Isn't that what we've become as a people? I believe we have. There's never been a more workaholic culture in the history of this world. And it, as I said, it used to be your family that was helped by individual effort, but now family is a means to individual achievement. You don't believe me. The family is a means to individual achievement. Judith Shulovitz is a Jewish woman. She wrote an article in the New York Times some time back, fascinating article, uh, Bring Back the Sabbath is the title of the article. She actually wrote a book on the Sabbath. And I wanted to pull this out, a couple of quotes here. Just look at what she says. All right, in terms of parenting, parents no longer set up metal swing sets in corners of their backyards. They hire professionals to erect sprawling wooden castles that consume half the lawn, right? Have that at my house. Parents line up at 5 a.m. to get slots in just the right neighborhood preschool and bring their children to specialists upon noticing the slightest delay in speech or motor coordination. Desperate to maximize their children's levels of attachment and developmental capacity, they flash baby Einstein cards at their three-month-olds. Right? None of you are guilty of that. And then she goes on, in a society that measures status in achievement, grades, awards, brand-name colleges, the scramble for advantage is bound to propel us into overparenting. Overparenting, however, is closely linked to overwork. And it's harder to opt out than you think. For now, we use our children to jockey for our individual status. And I got an amen. Think about that. Meditate on that for a second. This is, this is, not, a, this is not a shallow sermon today. I'm going deep. I could have come in today and just talked about, I'm going to talk in a second about the two types of rest. I could have given you a basic sermon and made you, entertained you with a sermon that is about just finding Sabbath rest for your physical body. It's not what I'm doing today. There's, there is so much that is deeper. There's so much that is, that is at stake, which is crucial to our lives. Everything has been reversed. I love what she says here. There has never been a society which has been troubled with more deep restlessness. What happens when we take a day off? Anybody? Even for me, I'm really, I'm really practicing Sabbath in my life. For me as a preacher, I can't do it on Sunday. I have to do it on Saturday, but every time I do it, it's like yesterday, let's, let's, let's be real, yesterday morning, Jameson's up really early, I didn't totally finish my sermon, and it's hard, it's like the sermon is calling out to me, I see it on the, I'm in the den, I see it on the other side of the room, I want to go pick it up, I want to go read stuff, I want to focus and finish what I have to do, and it's the hardest thing to just let it go, I hear the voice in my head, you're going to get behind, you're not going to finish. 
Anybody know what I'm talking about? You take a day, you take some time off, and you're like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? I have to work. I have to push. I have to be driven. I have to strive. I have to keep moving. I can't stop. It's the hardest thing for us is to stop. And rest is a revolutionary act. Now, here is the crux of the message. There are two types of rest. Let's put it this way. Let me use an analogy. Sleep experts know that in order to be restored, you don't just need sleep. Somebody says, you need sleep. Too vague, right? If I said to you, how much sleep did you have last night? Now, we're the parents of young kids. You know, parents, if your kids are older, remember, go back in your mind, right? There are nights where it's like you're up multiple times, right? Still waiting for Nolan. He's nine months. When are you going to sleep through the night? The whole night without waking mom and dad up. Lord, may that happen soon, right? With me on that, parents? It's exhausting. But if I said to you, how'd you sleep last night? You're like, I got up every single, I slept eight hours, but I got up every single hour. It's like I had an hour nap, then I got up. Is that REM sleep? REM, rapid eye movement, deep sleep? No. If you had six hours of uninterrupted deep sleep, is that better than the eight hours of getting woken up every hour? Of course it is. There is a huge difference between regular sleep and deep sleep, the depth of the sleep that we actually need. Are you following me? Our souls are in need of real rest, not regular rest for our bodies. I'm talking about a deeper spiritual rest that every single one of us needs. And there is, you could take as many vacations as you want. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm serious. Leave here and say, I'm going to go on a 14-day cruise wherever you want because I am so tired. You may come back and feel refreshed for a little while. The rest I'm talking about is not, it's a different rest for your soul. That will, yes, it will help you. It will replenish you. But go ahead. Don't take one. Take as many as you want, as many vacations. The rest I'm talking about is much different. See, the rest I'm talking about is the actual rest for our soul. You see, underneath all of the work and our drivenness and our busyness and underneath all the vacations that in the world that can't cure this problem, there's a restlessness and a weariness that has to be dealt with or we're going to die. Or we're going to die. And we kind of are slowly dying. We are because we're not really getting this kind of rest. And it's not talked about enough. And it's earned. It's your value, your identity, earn it, whatever that means, you have to achieve it. It happens through individual achievement. In order to feel good about yourself, you have to achieve. That's where your true identity is going to be. It's, it's, but it's unbelievable when we look in the mirror sometimes, we're not allowed to say that we're really unhappy or I'm not okay or I'm inadequate. Do we say that to ourselves? No, because we're never stopping. We never stop and really rest and really try to look at the questions, what the concerns or what's really going on inside of our souls. Huge problem. And I see some of your faces. We need to be a people that become at rest with who we are. Did you hear what I said? See some of your faces and you're ready, you're ready to go to sleep. You need to understand, I'm talking today about a rest for who you are. This could be life-changing if you get it. It has been for me in studying it. It is. It's life-changing. Not just talking about physical rest. Looking at the real reason why we're restless because we're saying to ourselves, I'm working this hard, I'm doing all these things and not stopping because I feel I'm inadequate, I don't feel like I'm good enough, I can get happiness if I do this. We're buying lies that the world is telling us. 
This is the only place that somebody's going to talk about it, here, in church. How about some examples? You want some examples? Rocky one. How many of you remember? It's unbelievable. Pastor Joe is not here for a Rocky illustration. What are the chances? Well, in the first movie, I love it. A question comes to Rocky. Why are you so driven? Why are you doing all this performance? Why are the trumpets blazing as you're running through the streets in Philadelphia and you're running up the steps to the art museum? Why are you doing these things? I don't know if you remember. What does Rocky say? He says his answer is, I want to go the distance. Then I'll know I'm not a bum. Right? Remember that line? Then I'll know I'm not a bum. We actually, and the reason why I thought of this, we went to, we took Pastor Joe to see Rocky the musical. It's not, it's not around anymore, right? It was there for like six months, and then it was gone. It was actually pretty good. It wasn't too bad. But that was the poignant line in the show. What I, I just kept thinking about it and uh, obsessing over it over and over and over. And I thought about us. See, that's why he's working so hard. That's why he has to make it to the top. That's why he's going to burn out later in one of those future movies. Because he thinks, he thinks if I can just make it to the top, then I'll have soul satisfaction. Then I'll have the rest. And he gets there and he's like, I have everything and it's a great picture for life. Or here's my favorite one. I use it every couple of years. Chariots of fire. Oh, chariots of fire. Picture of the year, 1980. The only movie about the Sabbath, probably in the last 50 or 100 years. I don't even know. I don't remember another movie that's about the Sabbath. And if you don't know, there's one guy in the movie. It's a running movie if you've never seen it. Harold Abrams is one runner, and he can't stop working. He can't stop running. And he's a, he's a sprinter, and somebody asks him, like they ask Rocky, why are you working so hard to go to the Olympics and win a medal? You want to see? This is what he says. Look at this for your own lives. Please see this amazing part of the movement. He says, I'm 24, and I've never known contentment. I'm forever in pursuit. I don't even know what it is I'm chasing. And for many of us in here, if you're honest with yourselves, you don't even know what you're chasing. You're running around, why am I so busy? Why am I so over? We're not really asking the deeper questions of life. The unexamined life is not worth living. That's what I'm here to bring out today. When I run, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. What? 10 seconds to justify my existence? What is it for you? What justifies your existence as a person on this planet? What is it? Is it achievement? Is it power? Is it money? Is it family? The things that we talked about last week, we talked about idolatry. It's kind of tethered to that. What is it for you? What truly will give you meaning? And then the other person, you see the guy on, the, the guy on the, my right here is, is Abrams. And then the guy on the left is Eric Little, right? And Eric Little, he's different. He runs too, but he, he won't run this final race on the Sabbath if you don't know the story. And he doesn't run on the Sabbath. And then the end of the movie, I'm not showing the clip, and many of you have seen this a thousand times, but that, that wonderful scene from Hollywood history, and some of the things have changed, and I don't want to ruin the picture that you have of the movie. That wouldn't be right of me. I should, but I won't. And uh, in there, in that last scene when he's running and he's talking to his sister, that's, you know, she's in the stands and says, Jenny, God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his good pleasure. He can't stop running. It's inside of him. It's, it's who he is. He knows he's a child of God. He understands his identity is much deeper than just running. He feels God's pleasure. The other guy has to run. He will never, ever find contentment. He will never be satisfied. He will never find soul satisfaction. 
because he's going about finding happiness the wrong way. And the irony is the first guy gets the gold medal, but it's not really enough for him. It's never going to be enough because there is work underneath the work. The work that makes you truly weary is never finished except in Jesus Christ. In Jesus, God looks at you and says, it is good. In Jesus, you hear these words, it is finished. It is finished. What does that mean for us? That means that we need Sabbath rest. That all of our chasing and all of our running can't do what Jesus can do for us. Go back even to the beginning. I mean, it's a terrible, let's be honest, it is a terrible ordeal to find the kind of rest that I'm talking about in this sermon. Look what it says here, and look at, go back to Genesis. In Genesis 2, 25, you see here, man and, man and woman are in the Garden of Eden, and it says, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Look at this. Before sin ever even entered the world, you have Adam and Eve in the garden, and they truly understand who they are. They have found happiness. They know who they are in God. They don't see themselves as being inadequate. They don't see themselves as lacking anything. They have a deep rest because they're in harmony with God. They have that relationship. Adam's walking with God in the cool of the day. But then something happens in Genesis 3 when you see the fall of man. In Genesis 3, 8 through 11, look what the word says. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? As a, result of the, as a result of this, you see Adam and Eve, what they're experiencing, they're seeing here, what every single human being that has ever lived sees, that we as human beings are not supposed to be our own lords and saviors. What we need to understand is there is a God and it's not us. It is not us. And what they saw for the first time, they have to go get fig leaves and they're hiding in the garden. They're hiding from God. Who told you to hide? For the first time in their lives, they are seeing, they're thinking we're inadequate. We're not good enough. And every single human being after has suffered from this, trying to find real contentment, trying to find real rest. And we can understand from this, we can come to the realization of why we are so driven We will never understand how to find rest. You will never understand how to find rest until you see your spiritual nakedness. Let me say it again. You will never find true rest for your soul. Somebody was saying, what are the things, how do we care for our soul? I hope you realize in the course of the whole series, when I'm talking like this last week, these are ways that you care for your soul. You realize something, you realize that we're not meant to carry all of these burdens. We need to realize that what, why we're chasing certain things is because there is a hole inside of us, because of the disconnection, because of sin that has hit us. Our drivenness, it's being caused. We're not realizing how spiritually naked we are. We have to see that in order to move on as Christians. So what's your spiritual need? What is it about you? If, if you were to say, like that runner before Abrams in Chariots of Fire, or what is it about you? What, where is that area that you're striving for? For me, it's, it's pretty easy and it's pretty obvious. After last week, I talked to Megan. She was like, what are your idols? And we, we were just going back and forth. And I said to her, you know, for me, it's performance. It's perfectionism. 
the things that I chase at school. I could have my kids take an AP exam at the end of the year, and I can have X amount of kids get fives, the highest score. But what will gnaw at me are the kids that don't do well, the kids that don't get a three and get college credit. It's why did this kid get a two? Why did that kid get a two? And I wear this stuff, and I carry it around because it's part of my identity, and I have to be very careful. Same thing, this job that I have here, have to be careful. It's not getting caught up. This is not who I am. I am a preacher. Whatever you are, your work does not define who you are. Even who you are as a parent, it doesn't define you. You are a child of God and you are striving. It is finished. Stop chasing. And I know, I knew going into today, this isn't a sermon that many people are going to go, oh, that was a great sermon. Because it's, it's deep and I get that. But hopefully a couple of us will really get this on the inside of us the deep cosmic restlessness that is going on inside of us. And you look back to the cross, think about the cosmic restlessness that was taking place 2,000 years ago when Jesus was on the cross. And what did he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, for that, for that moment in time, Jesus was cut off from eternal rest. The only time that the father and son were separated, that their love was separated, and he was cut off from that. And he said, I'm going to go through this. I'm going to sacrifice myself so we wouldn't be sacrificed. He's cut off so we'd be brought in. He's stripped naked so we could be clothed. And again, what is he saying when it's done? He's saying it is ultimately finished. What is the default mode, though, in the human heart? We just try to self-justify. We try to get up. How can I make myself good enough? How can I make myself worthy of God's love? can't do it. It's impossible. Yes, we're going to talk about physical rest, getting real Sabbath rest, real practical ways in which that can happen in our lives, but the sermon is about finding that real rest for our souls that only God can give us, and only when we're honest enough to realize what we're chasing and what our culture is telling us is really important, and looking at our drivenness. And this isn't something that you say, today I walk out, oh man, now I get it. I can get all the rest I need. No, this is something that you have to continually do. Think about it, you know, it's getting cold out. Sorry, to, it's, it's, soon you'll be putting the heat on, right? It'll be getting very cold. Some of you have fireplaces in your homes, right? Think about when you turn that fireplace on, right? When you get that fire going and you nestle up to the fire and you're excited, right? You're into it. And you nestle up to that fire. What happens sometimes to the rest of the house? I know what happens in my house, right? It gets cold in other parts of the house, but you don't realize it while you're sitting in front of the actual fire. It's not until you get up and you go into another part of the house or when your wife does, like mine does all the time. Honey, why is it so cold in the house? Put a sweatshirt on. I don't know what to tell you, right? You know, right, guys, you with me, right? But when you go to another side of the house, what can you do? What are your options? You can jump around, right, and try to get yourself warm or you could take your body back to the fireplace, you see, that's what the gospel is. That, that's, that's what the gospel is. We have to continually go back to the fire because God is looking to continually replenish us and renew us. This isn't something that we say, I got it, I get, I've, I've figured it out. No, it takes time and it's time and time again. We have to come back to who he is. We have to come back to who Jesus is. We have to come back and bring our burdens and bring our burdens and bring our burdens and lay them down and realize we are not meant to carry these things. What are you carrying around that is not giving you rest for your soul today? 
I put up earlier, what are the signs of, of soul fatigue? What are those signs? What is hitting you? And what, where are you looking to become adequate or become good enough? Where is that happening in your life? Is it work? Is that where you're really trying to find your identity? Wherever it is, whatever it is, realize that at this table, you can find true happiness. You can find true meaning. It's who we are in Christ that ultimately matters. There is a freedom when we realize who we are and whose we are. I ask you as you come up here this morning at the table that you truly lay it down. And this is the question. I put two questions up here. I made up two questions. What is preventing you from finding deep rest for your soul? That's number one, as you come up and you meditate. And then number two, how do you try and hide your spiritual nakedness? How are you trying to hide it? You, for, for perpetuity, for the rest of your life, will be dissatisfied. You will not find soul satisfaction until you realize, again, all the vaca- take all the vacations in the world you want. Try to find rest for your body. That's good. But how about finding real rest for your soul? Where are you trying to find meaning in this world? Just look in the mirror. Realize who you are and whose you are. Lord, Father, I thank you that we are truly yours. Lord, as, as we said last week, and John Calvin said those words, our hearts are idle factories. There are so many things that are trying to take us and pull us away from you and that relationship that we were created for. The life that we always wanted is found in you. Lord, help us today. Show us, Father, the deep restlessness that is inside of our soul can only be cured by you. Only you satisfy, Lord. Do what only you can do. My words are, 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 it's impossible for me to make that come to fruition. Only you can do that, Lord. Have your way inside of our hearts, but have your way in our souls. May we be transformed people from the inside out. Amen. Ushers, please come forward. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.